Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm your host for this next hour. And I'm so excited to be here with you this morning because we're going to talk about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, clarifying what is ABA and why are we talking about it? So I'm really thrilled. We're even going to forego jargon because there's so much jargon built into it that we're not even going to foray into that. So I welcome all of you. We're live right now. Today is August 1st, 2022. Good morning, Ka. So thrilled that you're here. And that's how it's done, you guys. If you have questions, feel free to write them into the chat. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. And Traven's going to show those to you in just a second. I want to remind all of you, though, that we are a podcast. We are the number one rated autism podcast, thanks to you. And we are available wherever you get your downloads, wherever you download your podcasts. That's where we are available, at least where it's free because that is something that's also very near and dear to us that we like for our content to be free to you. And we're excited that we're able to continue to do that. But it does take viewership, right? That, that That's how uh, we do things. It also takes sponsors. We mentioned to you guys last week, we're actively taking on new sponsors now. If you or someone you know wants to be a sponsor for the show, if you have a business or you have friends that are business owners, we're very fussy. We only take people who are like-minded and that we agree with the mission that they're on. So I will say that, but for the right sponsor, this is a great opportunity to be in front of people in the community. Our show, our mission here is to provide information and inspiration to that larger autism community that starts with individuals who are on the spectrum themselves. Of course, it starts with them and we try to elevate their voices in this conversation whenever possible. Um, But it also includes everyone who loves those individuals. And I count myself as one of those people. Michelle uh, I uh, is writing in and says, your address is on your website. I love, uh, I would love to send my autism story from Spectrum Life Magazine um, by uh, Autism Empowerment. October, fall 22. I would love to see that. Uh, 
Uh, and she gave us the digital copy for it, so that the link to it, so that we can look at it. Out. It's almost six years uh, since I've been following your Michelle. I'm going to check that out. I absolutely am going to check that out. Congratulations! And that's SpectrumLife.com, you guys. If you want to check out Michelle's article too, I can't wait to see it, Michelle. Uh, thrilled that you're speaking out. That's what we all need to do. Is tell her. You know, I'm a big fan of people. Ask me, Shannon, what are you? Um, uh, you know, like what? What's your job? What do you do? And I and I. If I'm really being honest, I say to people, I'm a storyteller. I love to tell stories. I love to tell true stories. I love to tell stories, other stories too, and make up stories. But it's important to tell the stories, right? And today we're going to talk about, uh, from my point of view, we've been doing this series called Parent to Parent, because, you know, I have a book out that's called Autism Parent to Parent, that's intended for exactly that, for parent a parent to be talking to parents. You know, um, we all have our place in, in this um, community. And sometimes you got to have the information from somebody who's on the autism spectrum, because that's an important perspective, right? But there are some things that from a parent's perspective that I can tell a parent that um, a teacher couldn't tell them, or um, that may not be something that someone is on the spectrum would even be aware of, unless they are also a parent, which I know of tons of of parents who are on the spectrum and that are also parents, right? So um, I think perspective is really important and it's really important for me to give the disclaimer that I'm not an expert in autism. I always say that here, uh, but I am somebody who has been covering autism and interviewing autism experts for well over a decade now. And um, so I've learned a thing or two as a parent and as a, as a I don't, journalist is even a funny word to say, but as someone who's trying to tell the stories and interviewing the people to tell the stories, I've learned a thing or two. And I do have an opinion. And I want to be clear about that. I like to say that it's informed opinion, but I'm not an expert. And um, but I do think that I have knowledge to share that is helpful for some people, maybe not for everybody. So that's why we're doing these talks. And today they're all like, you know, it's like, which one is your favorite child? You don't have a favorite child. Right. But um, but I love this subject. It's it's really what I've devoted a good share of my life to over the last 20 years um, is demystifying what is ABA. So that's our talk today. What is ABA and what does that have to do with autism? Uh, and Simon says, but, but I do think it's necessary for the world to have serious conversations and plans to address uh, the catastrophic rise in autistic cases in recent decades. And Simon, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why we've been doing a show for 11 years is that there is so much to talk about, right? Um, there are lots of opinions about that, Simon, and we'll foray into that on another day, but I, I certainly love, love, love you writing it about that, right? Uh, super important. But today we're going to be talking about what is ABA and what does that have to do with autism and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. So um, let's start, I'm going to give you the rundown of the topics that I'm going to cover here so that you know right from the beginning what we're going to get into, okay? So I forgot that I can move my own slides. Thank you, Traven. Uh, so right from the jump, I'm going to cover the basic of the science of ABA. Then I'm going to cover what does that have to do with autism? What does it actually look like? What is all the controversy about? about from my perspective. And if it's so good, why? Because that's what I hear from you guys. Well, if it's so good, then where are all the adults that have good things to say about ABA? And if it's so good, what, you know, there are endless questions about that. So this is what we're going to cover in this topic. And I'm kind of going to go fast 
because there's so much to say, right? And we only have an hour scheduled, although you know me, I will go over if I need to. Okay, so let's just jump right in here with the beginning of the basics of the science, because I feel like this is something, oh, and I hate the way I set this slide up. That's really unfortunate. Um, but, you know, just I made these slides and I hate the way I did it. There we go. Um, I think sometimes we get far afield from what it actually is. So I gave you the definition from Cooper, Heron, and Hayward, the people that I absolutely love, but secretly like to make fun of their definitions. So applied behavior analysis. Um, okay. I've got to rearrange things here a little bit. All right. So applied behavior analysis, ABA, is the science in which tactics derived from the principles of behavior are applied oh, we're applying behavior, um, to improve socially significant behavior and experimentation is used to identify the variables responsible for the improvement in behavior. Uh, anyone, anyone, is this helpful or useful to you? Raise your hand if it is. Oh, I see no hands up. Um, because for me, this is, if you don't know what applied behavior analysis is, then you don't know what applying analysis to behavior is. Anyone? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, what I like to say to people when they're asking me, because I like to condense it down into something that people can get their brains wrapped around and it's not a perfect thing, right? This is what we do on Jargon of the Day is I give you the definition that makes the experts go crazy, but maybe we can start to begin to understand, right? It's using the science of behavior to teach effectively. Because here's the deal, you guys, ABA is a teaching technique. That's what it is. It is, it is a teaching technique, but it's not just any old teaching technique. It's not somebody, something that somebody invented in the back of their Chevy van, right? It's a, it's a teaching technique that's backed up by a great deal of science. And I don't know about you, I'm a former teacher, you know, and I love learning I love when people grow. I love when people can, any people um, can, can learn, grow and be taught something. And I love watching it. I used to love watching that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And people were like, I don't understand. It's kind of boring. They ask the person a question and then the person sits there and talks through, well, it could be this, it could be that. And I said, yeah, but it's kind of fascinating because you're watching them think. And I think watching people think think, and more importantly, watching people learn is, is great. That's for me, that's great television. Uh, I could sit and watch people think and learn all day long. I love being in a lecture hall when somebody who's great is at the front of the room and you watch people's minds change and grow. Woo. That's good stuff. Uh, hello, dark angel. Thrilled that you're here. So if you, if you're at all into teaching, and you want to know what works versus what doesn't work, then ABA should be of interest to you because ABA is considered the best teaching technique. It's the, considered the most effective. And that is not just for people on the autism spectrum. Okay. Um, and I think, I think, I think, I think, I think, let's get, get on here to our next uh, slide here. Uh, I guess I don't do a big history of it, but ABA is an old science. It's a very old science. It was not invented for autism, nor is it solely used for autism. I think in recent years, it's about 50% used for autism of people who are in the field of ABA, how many of them are involved with autism. 
but that still means that there's like 50% of the people who are doing ABA and not having anything to do with autism. Um, so it was not invented for autism. It was invented to look at how do people learn? Because this is a very big deal in our world, in our environment, right? So let's go through the basics here. And I'm going to make all the experts break out into hives. But remember, I said this is coming from a parent with a parent's understanding so that hopefully you guys can understand it. The basic thing that is central to ABA is that learning is more likely to occur if there's a meaningful reward for the learner. Like that's the cornerstone of the whole shoot and match right there. That somebody is more likely to learn if it's meaningful and there's a meaningful reward for the person who's learning. So when we get to talking about the controversies surrounding autism and, and ABA, I want everybody to remember back to this. This is the whole thing in a nutshell, that it has to be meaningful to the learner <laughs> and that in order for them to learn. So if you're doing ABA well, it's got to be specific to the person. It's got to be something that's meaningful to them so that you're not teaching them something that is of no use to them and that there's no reward for them in this moment. I know I just blew some people's minds because they're like, well, wait a second. I heard that it tortures people. Does that sound like torture? It, it, you're teaching someone and it's got to be rewarding to them specifically. This is, I know there's a lot of bad information out, out, out there about that. So hold on to this tight. Learning is more likely to occur if there's a meaningful reward for the learner. Okay, so moving on here. Um, here are some other basic principles. And if you're like me and you're a little bit blind, um, I can tell that I just, just, I was so pleased with this PowerPoint presentation. And now I'm like, oh, it's super, super small. Uh, okay. So here are some other basic principles of ABA that, because you guys ask me all the time, how can I tell if something is good ABA or it's not ABA? Well, here are some things that you can hang your hat on to see, is this, you know, something, are we getting what it is that I think, I have no idea what's happening here with my PowerPoint. There we go. Okay. So uh, basic principle is that if you have the opportunity to learn, more opportunities to learn better and an immediate positive feedback, then you'll get better outcomes. So if I'm a teacher and I need to teach you how to do seven plus five, I need to give you as many opportunities as possible I need to give you immediate um, positive feedback, which means that if you're getting close or that you're getting it right, then I'm praising you. And that when I pair these two things together, I'm going to get better outcomes. Again, doesn't sound like torture to me. Um, so more opportunities, more immediate positive feedback is going, good morning, um, Christina, is going to give you better outcomes. This is why later on when we talk about with autism, if we're trying to give more opportunities, that means more hours. If I'm a teacher and I'm trying to teach you seven plus five, everybody's going to learn at different rates, right? But for some people teaching seven plus five, I might need four hours. Some people I might need four minutes, right? But if I'm not getting the desired response, I need to give you more opportunities more positive feedback, right? Um, okay, second one, which we just talked about, everyone doesn't learn in the same way or at the same rate. Learning should be individualized. 
You can't have it be a cookie cutter. You can't decide that seven plus plus five can only be taught this way. And we're only going to teach it this number of time. And then we're going to go on. That's not individualized. ABA says, no, that's not good teaching technique. Hello, world of education. This is the best teaching method, and it says it's got to be individualized. How about this one? The student is never wrong. If learning isn't happening, change the methods, not the student. Hello, can I get an amen here? How about this one? Challenging behavior is not random. It's happening for a reason. That's one of the basic principles of ABA. Everything is happening for a reason, and we're going to talk more about this in just a second. This one, which we've already sort of covered, but learning has to be meaningful to the individual. If what all you're doing is teaching eye contact to someone and it's not meaningful to them, guess what? You're going to have a really hard time teaching it and you're going to frustrate that student and you're going to waste a lot of time. It has to be meaningful to the individual. How about this one? Everyone can learn. Everyone deserves the right to learn. Just because you can't pick it up in three seconds doesn't mean you don't get the right to learn. This is a very important thing for me. Um, and, and I'm so glad that people are here and starting to write in. Preventing a child from learning to reward themselves is abusive. If you condition the child to need your reward approval, then that is definitely abusive by neurological standards. Thank you for writing that in because this is exactly what I want to get to. That would be bad ABA. If you conditioned them to only get the reward from you, that would be very bad ABA, right? Because rewards come in all different ways and it has to be meaningful to the person. But let's remember that we all run on being rewarded by things. When you go to a job, you expect to get paid. Guess what? That is your reward. And if they didn't, that's not abusive, saying I'm only going to pay you if you work. That's not abusive, right? But if but if that was the only thing that we allowed people and we didn't give them any other re reinforcer, we could certainly think of that as being abusive, right? But good ABA says it's got to be meaningful to the individual and that it, there has to be meaningful rewards for them. That doesn't mean that the reward comes from me all the time. Although it certainly means it does some of the time, right? But I, this is exactly what I want to get to, Sensei. Um, and the last one here, um, that functional communication is the right of all individuals. There is nothing that I find harder than someone who says to me, my child is nonverbal, completely in their own world, and so... I, I, you know, we didn't give them an iPad because we're waiting for speech. I appreciate that perspective, but it doesn't jive with science and it isn't fair. We've heard this from so many individuals who were non-vocal and now have functional communication who say, please give everyone the opportunity to be able to communicate in whatever way they can. And let's stop stigmatizing other forms of communication um, by saying, no, we're holding out for speech. Speech is great. It's not the only type of communication. In fact, most people, even people like me, very vocal, but it, you know, it's estimated that's like 18% of how we communicate because I'm com communicating with my gestures and I'm, you know, I've got slides, right? It, so it, 
please don't stigmatize other forms of communication. Please make sure that everyone gets the right to be able to communicate. Okay. Fantastic. Those are all basic principles of good quality ABA. So it's good teaching, but it's how we apply it, right? That's why it's called applied um, behavior analysis. Okay. Because you got to apply it in the right. Uh, okay. So what's what's this got to do with autism? How did autism get into the mix? If this is an age old science, how did autism get into the mix of it? Okay. So before Ivar Lobos decided that he was going to look at, well, ABA is very effective at teaching a wide range of people, a wide range of skills. Maybe we should apply it to autism. Before that happened, we need to be clear that when someone was diagnosed with autism and if they needed support, that families were told that they should literally say goodbye to their children and put them into a facility and never see them again. That is what parents were told. Parents were also told that it was their fault. They were told that there was no hope and that their children were unteachable. In fact, the the um, schools, this at the same time, schools, uh, this was before ADA, schools said, your child has autism. See you, we're not equipped to deal with that. And children were sent home and they weren't given free appropriate public education. Frightening, right? There was no, look Look at the slide we just looked at about how important it is to give opportunity to teach and the opportunity was completely taken away. Then Ivar Lovas decided that he was going to do, he started with one study, he lost funding for it, came back and did a second study, which was called the Young Autism Project. And he had a grunge of funding and he said, um, the first time the, with the first study, the kids were a little bit older and they didn't retain the information as well as he wanted them to. They made strides, but they it took it, they, it took them longer to teach them, and they didn't retain the information. And he had this idea that maybe if we start younger, we're going to be able to get the kids caught up faster, and that maybe it'll stick. Um, okay, uh, we are having problems with my microphone, and so I'm not sure what to do, but I'm going to try. cannot hear me. So hang on one second, you guys. I'm, we're having microphone problems. Um, let me see if I can solve what is going on. And now I'm having sirens. Can you hear me now? Are we still having the problem? Hello? Hang on, you guys. I um, I'm going to turn, how's this? My mic gain was all the way up at a hundred. How's this Traven? That better? Is that better? It's changing on its own. No, it, it goes up to 100, no matter what I do, Traven. I do not know. Um, let me go to... Sorry, you guys. Hang on. Please hold, as they say. Uh, audio. Let's take it off. Uh, this. Can you guys hear me now? 
Is that better? Okay. So continuing on, you guys, we got microphone issues. Okay. So here was Lobos and he said, we're going to, we're going to go and do a study with, uh, thank you, Christina. I appreciate it. Uh, Dark Angel says my four-year-old surprised me with, surprises me with how he gets happy when I tell him bravo, bravo, after he identifies a flashcard from another. Hey, listen, not everybody loves praise, but a lot of us do. A lot of us love praise and there's nothing wrong with praising people and telling them they're doing, they're doing a good job. Boy, we can all do more of that. Um, so Lobos said, what if we were to take these principles and apply this to young children? And he took a group of children between the ages of two and five and said, we're going to do this intensively. And then they published the findings. And I'm going to go through what the findings are in just a second. As a result of that, uh, more and more people said, is this true? A lot of people said that can't be replicated because it was kind of amazing what the results were. And more and more people said, can we replicate this? There are thousands of studies now that have replicated it. In the course of all this, the Surgeon General named ABA the gold standard of treatment which was a very big deal and is why things started to propel and more parents said, hey, if this is so good, I think we're going to try it for our child. Why isn't this being covered by insurance? We, we, we all fought really hard it, uh, during the Obamacare era. It, behavioral health for autism became one of the 10 essential health benefits, which is why most of you have in the United States have it for insurance and why most states now and businesses cover ABA treatment for autism. It was so expensive in the early years that only really wealthy people could afford it for their children. And now in most of the state sponsored plans, it is a benefit. Um, and in all states, there is a mandate now for insurance to cover it to some extent. So that's where uh, the genesis of, uh, of it with autism all stems from that Lobos Young Autism Project. Uh, all right. So what was that? What, what's that got to do with anything? So Lovas took children ages two to five. He said, we're going to give them 40 hours a week and we're going to commit to doing this from two to four years. Think about that for just a second. Um, because almost everything that is done for autism comes from this seed, right? But everybody wants to monkey with these variables here. The kids were ages two to five, 40 hours of therapy a week. And if you talk to Dr. Doreen Grampiche, who we have on the show regularly and do ask Dr. Doreen with, and she was one of the original people in the, the Lovas Young Autism Project. She was one of the main people doing the therapy, right? So we have it right from the source. She's the last person left alive from the original project, as far as I know. Um, we'll ask for that tomorrow. 40, she says that they did 40 hours a week because that's how often they could have the kids. The, the parents went to work. They had the kids for 40 hours a week. But in actuality, she says they taught the parents how to do it and that they said every waking hour. That every waking hour had to be this educational enriched environment and that they did this for two to four years. At the end, what they published, their findings... There were three different categories of outcomes for the kids. Look at the three categories. 47% of the kids were deemed, there's the word, have your emotions about it, recovered. What does that mean? It means that they clinically no longer 
qualified for a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. That does not mean that they were changed or that their brains changed or that the way that they thought was changed. They were not brainwashed into being typical, uh, which is what people like to say. They, they were still br brilliant and saw the world in a different way, but they no longer had a disability and they no longer needed support and they did not, con they continued through their lives to no longer need support. They didn't have to have somebody who handled their finances. These people went on to lead their lives without someone, you know, being of support to them any more than anyone else, right? I mean, we all have support in different, we have our friends and things like that, but they didn't have to have support to lead their lives happily the way they wanted to. That's pretty incredible. When you go from absolutely no hope, put your child away, say goodbye to your child and forget about ever communicating with your child, 47% of the children in that study went on to lead their lives with nobody commenting and going, oh, you know, what are we going to do about X, Y, or Z? They didn't need support. That got everybody's attention. It's 47% though. So what happened to the other kids? Okay. So 42%, and I don't think my math, adds, I think that's 32%. I think my slide is right, uh, is wrong here. But uh, whatever the math is, but I know the last one is 11. So it must be 32%, right? I don't know. Uh, made significant progress. They still made tons of progress and learned new things. But at the end of the, the period of time of investigation, they still qualified for a diagnosis of an autism spectrum disorder. And they still needed some support. Uh, but their support, with the support, they were very successful in leading their lives and having jobs and so on and so forth. So maybe they went to college, but they needed support at college or they went to work, but they needed a job coach, but were able to be very successful with that coach, right? And then there were 11% of the kids that made meaningful progress on adaptive skills. So everybody was potty trained. Everybody could feed themselves. Um, you know, they could get dressed, all of those things. Those are what the adaptive skills are, right? Um, and that everybody in this category gained functional communication. Everyone could communicate in one form or another. But this group of people continued to need significant support. And the expectation was that they were going to need significant support throughout their life. It is notable that most of the kids in this category were deemed to have an additional diagnosis in an in addition to the autism, that some of them were Down syndrome. Some of them, you know, they had other diagnoses that went hand in hand with the autism. So they still made progress, but they were going to still need support the rest of their lives. I think for a lot of people, we looked at the 47% and said, there's hope there. And even if we fall short of that and are in the middle group, that's not bad. Right. I, and 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 heaven forbid we're in the last group in the 11 percent group. My child will be able to take care of some bodily needs for themselves and be able to communicate. And I think a lot of parents like myself saw this and said, this is what I want for my child. Right. You can understand why somebody would say, what are my other choices? Oh, you got nothing else where you can show outcome in this way. And I have to tell you, there are lots of studies now 
I mean, when I came into this 20 years ago, there weren't, but now there are studies that show other treatments are effective at building skills, but nothing, nothing has shown this level of success. To date, there is nothing. This is why insurance is covering ABA. This is why when your child is diagnosed with, with autism, you're being offered a prescription for ABA. This is what I think everybody should know. Okay, but then where do we go from here? Um, okay, so as a result, it is named the gold standard of treatment. Over a thousand studies show it works. This is why insurance will fund it. Fund it. Insurance will pay for it uh, for almost everyone here in the United States. Sometimes you got to know what question to ask. Here are the big asterisks. Done right, it does work. Done right, it is compassionate. Are there people who are doing ABA and doing it wrong, wrong, wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's not mince words here. So you got to make sure you're getting the good stuff and you got to be diligent. And that's one of the soapboxes that I get on a, on a regular basis. I feel that if we empower you by telling what it, you what it looks like, then you'll be able to be on the job. When we started ABA, the only thing that I had for a reference point about what did it look like was I had Christina Adams' book, A Real Boy. That's what I had. And I wanted more. I wanted, I wanted videos. I want, but you know what? And I've been a part of the media trying to like put out videos to show what it is. It's hard. It's hard because you, it, there are so many parts to it. I always say, it's like, if I sent you to ballet school and I said, I, I just want you to take video of how somebody becomes a ballet dancer. And you would start with showing second position and somebody doing a plie. But if you showed that to someone who had never seen a ballet, they would go, that doesn't look like something I'm interested in. They would never want to do it based on that. But then you show somebody a ballet dance, right? And it doesn't show you how they got there because it's hours upon hours upon hours, right? And that's the same with ABA. Okay, so what does it look like? Done right, it should look like periods of very structured learning followed by periods of intense reward over and over and over again. And even saying that, it's like trying to describe the color blue to someone who's never seen blue. But I want you guys to know that there are times when somebody is it, like is doing a structured learning, but it's got to be rewarding, rewarding, rewarding. And it's it's a lot of repetition. Um, but that that doesn't even do it justice because it has to be fun. It has to be fun. Uh, OK. So in a nutshell, what ABA is trying to do with anyone, whether it's working with autism or working somebody not with autism, is that we're saying that there are these behaviors and, and we want to decrease some behaviors and we want to e increase other behaviors. So if you are sitting that, there right now and you're a person that's on the spectrum or you're a parent or you're a teacher and you're watching this, I want you to think of yourself and think about you, who you are in the world, are there some behaviors that you have that you know that your life would be better if you decrease them? I'm going to guess you would say yes, right? Like maybe you're staying up too late, right? And you know that you should go to bed earlier, or maybe you're smoking, or maybe you're eating too much sodium. I, I don't know for you, but we all have some behavior that our life would improve if we would just stop doing it. So why don't we? 
because it's a behavior and behavior is wrapped up in a lot of different things, right? But if we could effectively make it easier for you to change that behavior and be happy, wouldn't that be a good thing? For sure, it would, right? What about other behaviors? Are there some behaviors that you know that you're like, right now, I, I was on the exercise kick in COVID when we were isolated. I was walking every day on the treadmill. And now I sit there every night and I say to myself, I know I would feel better. I just got on that treadmill and yet I find a million excuses why. So if we decrease some behaviors and increase other behaviors, we know that quality of life can go up if it is tied to the individual's needs and wants, right? Because not everybody wants to eat lower sodium, right? And not everybody can benefit from that, but some of us can. Okay, so how do we do this? How do we decrease some behaviors and increase other behaviors? If you watch the show, you know we talk about the three-term contingency. ABA, and the science of behavior says that behaviors are like, I think of them as these little balls, right? And each ball has is connected um, to other things. It doesn't exist in space by itself. And so each little behavior has this sort of chain that makes up its own little ball. So uh, we, it's not just the behavior that we call it the ABCs of behavior. So first there's an antecedent. There's something that happens that as a result, the behavior happens. And then after the behavior, there's always a consequence. Always, 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 always. This is true of all living things, by the way. This has nothing to do with autism, but autism is included in the living things, right? So what you know, what, how is this useful to us? Because we all think, well, the behavior, well, I need to eat less sodium. That's the behavior, right? But if we only think of the behavior, we're really missing out on where, where there's some control and some variability, right? Because something happens that triggers me eating sodium and then I eat the sodium and then there is a consequence for eating the sodium. And what ABA says is trying to just like modify behavior is, is a fool's errand because you can't. People are people. They're going to behave the way they want to behave. Stop trying to control the behavior. Look at the antecedents. Is there a way that I could have something happen so that I don't crave the salt? Like maybe if I, you know, have something with lemon juice in it, which has the same sort of reaction on my tongue as salt, maybe I won't crave the salt. Hello. Maybe if I just put more lemon in my water, I won't need. Well, then now I've, I've changed the behavior and I haven't penalized myself. I'm not in, in desperate want for that sodium, right? I, I just did something that was rewarding because I like the lemon juice but it took away my need to be able to need the sodium, right? Um, now, other times, and so that's called an antecedent modification that sets the person up for success so that the behavior in question, either if I want the behavior to happen more, it's more likely to happen, or if I want it to happen less, that it's less likely to happen, but it's not about penalizing somebody. And then, of course, there's always the consequence, and everybody always thinks of this as punishment, and in fact, it isn't. That's, a, that's the glass half full thing, right? That sometimes it's the consequence of, 
you know, for instance, uh, you know, if the behavior is that I personally, it's meaningful to me to get an A on a test, right? And so what do I do? I set myself up for success. I do an antecedent modification. I study a little bit every day. I get good rest. I eat good things so that the day comes for the test and I'm feeling good. Those were all antecedent modifications. I take the test. And then when the test is over, I give myself a reward. Even before I know what the what I got on the test, I give myself a reward because I did all the antecedent things. And now I get into this behavior thing where it's like, I know how to set myself up for success for to do well on a test, right? So a lot of times the consequence strategy in ABA is making sure that the person gets a reinforcer that's personal to them. This is how we go about looking at behavior and shaping behavior so that we decrease some behaviors and increase other behaviors. Again, it has to be meaningful to the person. We can't just, I mean, you know, you can decide to shape behavior where you have someone like, uh, you know, hitting their head against the floor. You could if you wanted to, and that would be unethical right? This is about shaping behaviors that are meaningful to the individual, that are helpful to them and meaningful to them, not just to the people teaching it. Okay. Um, Moving on here. I got to take a sip. Mm. Here are some really important things that we have to remember. We don't have control over behavior. We have some control over antecedents and we have some control over consequences. For every parent who's ever taken a child into a doctor's office and you have to wait and and there's nothing to do and the child, you know, children will get into things, right? And the example that I always gave was my, my son would sit there and he would start kicking the leg of the chair. And now the elderly lady, and now I'm that lady in the doctor's office, but would sit over there and be like, like, do something about that, right? Um, So as a parent, what I learned was that if I just turned to my son and said, stop that, how likely was I going to be successful? No, because what does it say there? We don't really have control of the behavior. What was it going to do? Tape his leg to the chair? I can't make him stop. If he doesn't want to stop, he's not going to stop. The problem is, is that sometimes people stop there and go, well, there's nothing I can do then. Oh, mon cher, contraire, right? Because I could have, and eventually I did do this because I was taught well by people. I brought this, what I called the zipper bag. It was all these zippers. And in each little compartment of the zipper bag, there was a different toy that had an attention span of it on it about a, a two minute thing. Like there was one little wind up toy that would do flips. And so I would, uh, we'd get into the doctor's office and I would say to my son, okay, one zipper. And he would unzip it. He would play with that for two minutes. He would give it back to me. I'd zip it back in. He got to unzip another one. And we would get through that waiting period with no difficulties because he was engaged. He was having fun. It wasn't overwhelmed. Right. And I had no lady across the way giving me the stink eye. That's an antecedent modification. I didn't just decide to say, hey, stop kicking your leg against the chair. And we built it in so that when he behaved well in the doctor's office waiting room, there was always some sort of reward that he got. It might be that another toy got added to the zipper bag, right? Um, And this is, he was happy to go to the doctor's office and wait. He was happy to be there and not bored. 
Um, so this is this is how this works. It, it's amazing how it works. Okay. Um, now, when we see that there are challenging behaviors, this is another thing that um, people go, well, it, it's just ABA is just people who are trying to make these kids behave like whatever is normal, right? No, there are behaviors that are challenging in the world. And when I talk about any behavior, it always has a reason, right? This is a basic principle. We said that in the beginning, that behaviors are there for a reason. I always like what a parent says to me, well, my child is doing this and that and this challenging behavior. And I'm like, okay, but what, is it really challenging? <laughs> like, or is it just annoying to you? Or, um, and we've talked about this endlessly on the show about what people call stims and that people go, well, we just need to get rid of that. And, and I don't belong to that school of thought. Good ABA doesn't belong to that school of thought. Good ABA says that is happening for a reason. Um, and that if it is getting in the way of other things, then we're going to start to think of it as a behavior that is potentially challenging. So if your stim is that you have to hit your head against the kitchen floor and God bless our community, there are people that that is how they stim. They hit their head on the kitchen floor. My son was one of those kids, Right. We can't just say, kumbaya, it's okay, that's how he's expressing himself, because they will hurt themselves. So we knew, we, um, yes, Dark Angel, it's hard. She says, can you show videos of ABA sometime? Yes, but you're, you have to realize that then you're putting a camera on a kid who is trying to learn and then, you know, a lot of people get squeamy about that. Or you have a kid who's not, who's an actor, and then we all go, what's the point, right? Um, we'll talk more about this in a second. Be but it becomes an ethical thing. It's really, really hard, Dark Angel. That's why we're going to get into the, you know, if it's so good, why don't we see videos of it all the time? Because we're protecting people's ability to learn, right? But when we start to talk about a behavior and say that it's challenging, and my, my philosophy is that we don't call it challenging unless it is in some way disrupting something for the actual individual. It can't, for me, it can't just solely... Uh, be something that, well, you know, it's annoying to this person or the other kids don't like them when they, you know, because because that's not fair to me. Challenging behaviors for me are things that have an Im direct impact for the individual, like the hitting the head on the kitchen floor, right? Then when we see a behavior that we go, this is preventing learning, this is hurting them, this is, you know, causing them to feel bad about themselves, whatever, then we can target that behavior and go, that's a challenging behavior. And we want to decrease that behavior. It's getting in the person's way. But it's really important that we know the four usual suspects. There's four usual reasons why any of us gay engage in challenging behavior. So there's the big four. There's an asterisk because there's a sometimes five, like there's a, and sometimes why for the vowels. But one of the biggest ones is attention. We all do things to get attention. And I love it when a parent says to me, oh, no, 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 it wouldn't be for attention because we yell at him every time he does that. And I'm like, but that's attention. <laughs> right? Even bad attention. If you doubt me, go get a tabloid. People engage in behavior to get attention, even when it's bad. If you need attention, you'll take whatever attention you can get, right? Um, that's a big one. People do things to escape. They escape people, 
feelings, um, pain, uh, fear, and and we need to be very mindful when we see that someone is doing a behavior because of escape, because there's something going on that they're really trying to get themselves away from. That's a warning. And we need to be mindful and compassionate about that. Uh, but we also need to teach because sometimes I, I, I take the case of Romario Snow, who he can't stand to be around aggression. Aggression is really hard for him. It physically, it's like physically painful for him to see aggression and it causes him to run away. And twice now he's run away from his mother in circumstances where one time it took her 27 days to find him. So, you know, that we have to mitigate those circumstances, right? People also, all people also do things um, to be able to get a tangible. This is so that you can get something that you want or, a, you know, to be with a person that you want to be. We do things because we want, I want the ball. So I bit the girl who had the ball and now I have the ball, right? It worked. I'm going to keep doing it, right? Um, and then the last one, which is the dicier one, it's it's called automatically reinforcing because there's some sort of a built-in personal reward. We talk about this a lot with the what is deemed the self-stimulatory behaviors. I say quotes because it's not always self-stimulating. Sometimes it's self-calming, right? Um, but they call those automatically reinforcing. It's an inside job. But the reward that the person gets for it is on the inside. You and I can't see it. It's hard to detect, but we know that they're getting an inside reward for it. And the, the fifth one that is there sometimes is control. And many of you will write in and say, my child does things that I know they don't even like because they want to be in control. Hello, um, <laughs> my name is Shannon and I like to be in control. And I think that a lot of people like to be in control. And I think our kids want to be in control of themselves and their, their lives. I think we need to be compassionate about that. And if I don't get the opportunity to be in control, I will act out, as will most people. Um, okay. So these are our suspects and we need to know what, what the reason is if we're going to intervene um, in a compassionate and kind way, because we never try to, if I have a need for an attention, this is where people don't understand. If I have a need for attention, then, then people go, okay, well then I'm just not going to give attention to it. All right, that's a strategy, but it means you have to give the attention somewhere else because if you just deprive the, the person of the thing that they needed, then you're going to make their life miserable and you're not going to be doing effective teaching. When I was a teacher, I, this was explained to me before I ever knew what ABA was. And they would say, okay, if you've got a kid in the classroom, who's just really wrecking the thing all the time, because they got something funny. They're like the class clown. They got something going on. It's attention nine times out of 10. And what you got to do is shower them with attention before they act out. These are the kids that I would go, you know, I, there was one young man that I remember very distinctly and, and his name was Juan. And I said, Juan, could you come up and be my assistant? And I would praise him, praise him, praise him. And he was, he got all the attention. He was up at the front of the classroom with me and the kid would beam and other teachers would say, I don't understand it. That kid is so amazing in your class and he's learning so much. How come I can't do that? Well, you're not showering with attention. And they would say, oh no, quite the contrary. I try to ignore everything that he does. 
How does that work for you? So this becomes an antecedent strategy that we shower him with attention so that he doesn't have to seek it in the moments when you can't give it. Does that make sense? That's good ABA. And I didn't even know I was doing it because somebody didn't tell me that's what it was called, but taught me how to do it. I didn't come up with it on my own. Okay. This is what we do. Okay. So how would we know though, which one of those four or potentially five things? I think whenever possible, it's best to be working with professionals. There are things called BCBAs, which are board certified behavior analysts. They're very good at this. There is also something called the CIFA. That's part of the skills program, which is available now to the public. You can, it's, um, you don't need the whole thing, but there's something called the Skills BIP Builder. You could ask just for that. And I don't know how much that costs. It's a monthly thing, but it has the CIFA in there and you just put in, it asks you a bunch of questions and you put in the answers to it. And then it tells you what the likely function of it is. And it suggests to you how to intervene. It's kind of cool. Um, now, the last is that you can play detective and guess, but that can be really dangerous, especially when it's something where like Romario Snow, where he's running away and it could, it, I mean, it literally could be life and death. So be very, very careful of that. Whenever possible, be working with a professional to help you to figure out what the function of the behavior is. Um, okay. So moving on. All right. Why all the controversy? Why all the, if it's, if it's all this that Shannon just said, and we can teach behaviors and we can make people's lives more meaningful and, and everyone's life more meaningful. But if we can teach people on the autism spectrum and have them have their sense of self-worth and have it be individualized, why all the controversy? Well, this is Shannon's opinion. Um, and, and it, there's a whole slew of things here. First of all, I always like to think who benefits from anything, because here's the problem. ABA is expensive. So somebody's got to pay for it. And it's very interesting to me, the more that we have held people, entities, insurance, responsible or school districts um, for paying for it, the more we've heard about how horrible it is. Uh, I find that very interesting. And parents will say, oh, it's just horrible. I find a lot of times when I sit and talk with them, it's because A, they've been told it's horrible and that's convenient for them because they've also been told it's expensive and they assume that they won't be able to afford it. And if I think that there's something out there for my child that I can't afford and somebody says to me, oh, and it's really terrible for them, I, because I was one of those parents, by the way, and I said, oh, thank God that uh, we can't afford it because I wouldn't want to do that anyway, right? And then I found out that, A, if I was a really on it parent, it certainly didn't have to be horrible and that we didn't have to pay for it out of pocket. And then things changed for me. But let's, in the pink box right next to it, it says it isn't always done well. And the more people that we have in the field doing ABA, the more people who are doing it wrong. And the more that insurance has been involved, the more that insurance has made it harder for it to be done right, because they don't want to fund it in the way that it's done right. I'm going to get flack for that, but that's my truth. And I'm saying it. Parents don't know what it looks like because exactly what Dark Angel asked. Why don't we have videos? Why don't we have videos so that we could know exactly what to look for? Um, and it's hard to show you videos between the, the, the ethical rights of the child, between getting all the permissions to do it. We had this wonderful series that we had for a while. It was called The A Word, where we followed a little boy through therapy with his parents' permission 
and it was so helpful to so many people. But I will be honest with you that then when he was a teenager, the parents came back and said, you know what? We now feel that it's not fair for him to have this out there, especially during his teenage years. Would you mind taking it down? We'll come back to you in a few years when he's an adult. And and if he signs off on it, then we'll allow you to show it again. And you know what? We needed to be ethical and say, absolutely. And we took it down. But for those of you who saw it, it was a really good thing. And I'm, I, listen, this is what keeps me up at night is how do I show this to parents without putting kids in a compromising position? Uh, it's really hard. Um, and, and then the next box, many self-advocates or individuals, I, I know many people are saying now, don't call me a self-advocate. Individuals who were on the spectrum who had ABA earlier are coming forward and saying that they feel that they were tortured and that they, and they describe it to me and I go, yep, that's a hundred percent bad ABA, what you had, but to them that's ABA and they don't know what good ABA looks like. And they're, they are really loud and proud to say to people, please don't do to your child what was done to me. I support them in that. I don't want what happened to them to happen to other children, but all ABA isn't that. And I think it's important for us to make that distinguish, uh, distinguishing mark. Insurance and sometimes often doctors and providers don't tell parents the truth. I'm hearing all the time from parents who say that they went to the doctor's office. The doctor said, well, I can write you a prescription for 40 hours, but that's too much for your child. To which my head goes foom, 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 and explodes all over the room because I want to go, what is that doctor basing that on? Because that is not the science. We're talking about a three-year-old science, a three-year-old, show me the science that says that 20 hours of ABA is effective. Guess what? That study doesn't exist. There are thousands of studies showing that the 40 hours would help that child, but there's none showing that 20 makes me crazy. And I'm on a mission to tell parents the truth. Uh, here's one that I particularly love. Scientists don't know how to talk about their science. This, I am on a tear with ABA professionals that when they talk about ABA, they don't talk about outcomes and they don't talk. They're like, well, I don't, you know, and they talk about it as this dry thing. Well, we're changing behavior. Oh my gosh. Um, they don't talk about what it can do for a kiddo. Makes me crazy. I'm trying to educate them about that. Um, and uh, it benefits the insurers if parents say no to ABA. This is my opinion about why there is so much controversy because who wins? If you are a parent and you decide not to do ABA with your child, who is the big winner? It is the insurance company. Um, so I be careful, uh, be careful, but you also have to be careful on the other side to make sure that you get good quality ABA, that you get the right amount excuse me, and you are diligent as you know what, making sure that your child is treated ethically. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Um, moving on because we're running out of time here. Here are some myths about ABA that drive me, you know what, crazy. It only works for some kids. That's just wrong. ABA, as we've already discussed, is a teaching technique and it's a box of tools. How can you say that it would not work with some kids? To me, this is the same as saying that some kids can't learn. And that's a hill that I will die on, that that is false, false, false. Everyone can learn. 
everyone can learn. I don't care what the person's IQ is. You can use the principles of ABA on a house plant and it works. Don't tell me that that child can't learn. That's offensive to me. Um, how about it teaches kids to be compliant robots? That's wrong. You could use the principles of ABA to do that if you were a person who was a horrible person. And I won't say that people haven't. I think that people have. But that is not ABA. That is not the, that is not the science of ABA. That is someone uh, teaching in a way that is inappropriate. But that's not ABA. That's the teacher. Uh, it's mean torture for the individual receiving the therapy. Again, if done right, it absolutely is not, absolutely is not, that the therapists are untrained. Um, I think that most people who are doing, now insurance has made it almost impossible to train people really well, um, but they're not untrained. They are not untrained. They have had some training, but they need more training. I'm not going to dispute that at all. Um, but the fact remains that most people, I guess I can't speak for a lot of ABA providers. You should look into it if you're having ABA, what kind of training that they get. In fact, I encourage parents to do the, the training that is for RBTs themselves. There's a 40-hour online class that you can do, and I can never remember what Justin Leaf's uh, organization is called, Traven. Uh, if you can find it before this presentation is over, uh, I would appreciate it. But it's the there's a free 40-hour training that people can do on their way to become a registered behavior technician, and I encourage parents to do that training. When you do that training and you ask, has the person who is working with my child done that training, you will see that those people have more training about autism and dealing with what's going to happen with your child than any person in any school that you're going to take your child to. So they're not untrained. They can, oh, thank you, Melissa, the Autism Partnership Foundation. Thank you, Melissa. We love Justin. Why do I have a mental block? Because we, we post it all the time. They give free, they give that 40-hour training for free. Check it out. Um, and, and then the last myth I wrote, it's expensive and time-consuming. Oh, wait a minute. That's true. That is not a myth. That is true. It is expensive. It is time consuming because good teaching takes time. So that is not a myth. I'm just making fun of myself there. Okay, moving on. We've only got a few slides left here. Okay, so what are the hallmarks of good ABA? We'll make this PowerPoint available to you guys so that you can read everything. But here's the thing. Intensity. I know some of you are going to write in all the time and go, 40 hours of her, a three-year-old, that's crazy. I said the same thing. But the science shows that that's what's work, what works. And if it's done well, your child will be happy. It's like if you could have the best nanny who understands the science behind teaching, who makes your child's whole world educationally exciting, came and worked with your child. And, and they were there, you would want more of that. So don't shy away from the intensity. Make sure that they're taking regular breaks that are fun and reinforcing for your kiddo. Make sure that your kiddo gets enough sleep. Make sure that you ramp up to your hours, but don't say no to intensity. It's the thing that we know works. That um, has to be focused on the individual. Remember I said it has to be meaningful to them. No more just teaching some random crap to kids that has no meaning to them right? It's got to be meaningful to them. Clear focus on reinforcement, not punishment, right? 
it has to involve the caregivers. If you think that you're going to drop your child off at the autism center and then you're going to come back and pick them up and that you don't need to learn this, that's not how this works. You have to learn. I said the other day with Dr. Graham Pichet, I had a thing on my mirror in my bathroom that said, my son's team is only as good as its weakest player and that will not be me. Please get involved as a parent. Learn what these people know. They're your your organization, and they have to have built in. They call it caregiver collaboration or parent training, whatever they call it. They're ha- please get involved in that, and please, if they're not giving it to you, report them to their insurance company because they should be giving it to you. Um, and your insurance company knows the value of you learning it and they will get after them if they're not giving it to you. They have to plan for generalization from the first time that they give a lesson to your child. They have to plan for what's the long term for this. So if we're teaching, you know, your child to go to the bathroom, we're not just teaching them how to go to the bathroom in the, in the toilet downstairs. We're teaching them how to go to the bathroom in every toilet in the world. And we planned for how we're going to teach that we're going to teach first here. Then we're going to go to target. Every single lesson your child has, has to have a plan for generalization and you should ask for it. How, what's the plan for generalization for that lesson? And if they hem and haw, you are with the wrong ABA provider. They have to have uh, a willingness to change techniques to suit your child. If they're saying to you, if your child learns through visual cues and they're like, well, we just don't do that here, run. Run, 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 run away. They have to have flexibility in their approach. They have to have a team approach. And guess who's on the team? You are. And your child is too. They have to communicate their tuchuses off and there has to be dignity for all. Those are the hallmarks for good ABA. And if you're not seeing that, make a stink. Call your insurance company. Tell them, I'm not seeing this. Talk to them. Say, I'm not seeing this. It's important. This is how you stay the gatekeeper. Okay, what is the recipe for success? How did that low-loss study get to those 47% of the kids getting to the point where they no longer needed support? Uh, It was intensity, y'all. They've done so many studies about this and said that intensity is one of the most important factors. And do you know that there's some crazy statistic that out of all the kids in the United States getting ABA, that I think the average number of hours a week is 12. You know what? That makes me want to jump off a bridge because that there's not a study, you guys, that doesn't, it doesn't say that. Um, If you're going to follow the science, follow the science. The science says intensity. Um, That you need to have a BCBA on your team that's got some experience. So if they don't, make sure they're being mentored by somebody. There are tons of BCBAs with experience. Ask them, are you being mentored? Don't feel bad about advocating for yourself or for your kid. And then look at the third one. The third predictor of success for kids that are doing ABA, intensity experience, and parent involvement. If you learn what the, your therapists know, your kid's outcome will be better. That's just scientific proof. Uh, it's evidence. There, it's there. It's been proven. Uh, okay, moving on. If it's so good, right? Everybody always says to me, if it's so good, where are all the adults, Shannon, that had ABA? Why aren't they speaking out about ABA? If it was so good, where are all these recovered kids? And why aren't they talking about how good the ABA is? And the truth is because they are outliving their lives. 
That's the truth, you guys. And people used to tell me this all the time. And I was like, well, surely they could spare a few minutes of whatever. And you know what? My son does. I'm just going to use his him as an example. He does. If I say to him, listen, I'm in my schedule. I'm going to go and I'm going to speak to this group of people. By chance, are you available on that day at that time? When he is, he will come. But you know what? He's working two jobs. Um, one of them, he's working with kids that are special needs. And he it, you know, is making the dean's list at college and having a social life. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. And, and some of these kids aren't it's they, and people will say, oh, they're ashamed or they're embarrassed. Please, please do not ever say that to me. My son is not embarrassed at all to be a member of the autism community. Not a little bit. Uh, loves working in the field with individuals who have unique needs. Um, he's not embarrassed of the fact that, you know, he had a diagnosis. It's just that he will tell you is that then people act different around him. And, and like, look at every little thing. And he no longer be, is just, you know, Jem. He's, oh, Jem, who, who, you know, had all this ABA therapy. And that's all anybody wants to talk to him about. And he's like, listen, you know, I want to be helpful. I want to be supportive. But there's more to me than that story. And he deserves that right to live his life, as do so many of these other adults. So... They're there, you guys. And if you, you know, we try to feature them here on the show whenever is it's conducive for them, but they're out there leading their lives. And we want that for them, right? I hope that someday you have that opportunity to be in the space where I'm at, where it's like, well, I can't ask him. I, we fought so hard for him to be able to lead his life the way he wanted to on his own terms. I can't ask him to sacrifice that. I do ask him to give back. Um, and that's not possible for all people. He has a mother who's already out there doing things. And, and, and there are people who are speakers who are like, you know, hire me to speak. Let me be out there and talk and say good things. But many of them are out there working in the top of their field. That's what they're out there doing. Um, and they also know too, that when they come forward and say, I had good ABA in my son's case, there are times that people will go, oh no, you just have been brainwashed to say that, <sighs> you know what I'm saying? So they are out there. Um, but there will be less of them. If more people don't know the things that I just told you, it's gotta be intensive, gotta be intensive. Uh, okay. And then, um, this is my kid. This is the reason why this message is important to me. Um, this is what is possible. This is his, this is the picture we had to take in COVID. I took this picture because we couldn't get senior years because we live in LA and, we, and they weren't doing that. But um, this is why I feel so important to say to you that this is possible. But if you want it, it's so funny because we used to have to fight to get the funding. And, and I won't tell you that you won't have to fight you'll have to fight to keep your funding. But if your child is diagnosed and you will be offered some form of ABA in all likelihood, if you're not, you need to look into why you weren't. And I can help you with that. You just have to write into me, Shannon at autism-live.com. But, um, but the thing is, is what you're going to have to do in the beginning. And instead of fighting for the funding in the beginning, you have to fight for the right to get the full prescription. 
which is as many hours as appropriate for your child. There's different, but if you have a child between the ages of two and five, please fight for 40 hours a week. They will give it to you. They will give it to you if you have insurance because they know that later on you could sue them for giving you less than what they knew to scientifically be effective. That's the truth, you guys. So please fight for the 40 hours. Please fight with everyone. Fight with your insurance, fight with your doctor, fight with the ABA company. If they tell you, oh yes, we can take you for 40 hours and they only give you 20, you, you've got to fight and you've got to keep fighting until you get your, and then once you're in with a good ABA provider, you got to fight to make sure that they are a good ABA provider and you got to fight, 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 fight. But here's the thing, it's not forever. If you fight, 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 fight to get it and keep it and work on it for two to four years, go back to that picture of that slide in your mind that your kid is going to fall somewhere in one of those three categories. It's been replicated. Um, and the numbers are almost identical each time. So maybe your child will be at the place where they no longer need support. And, and I can tell you that it's only been in the last three years that we would say that for our child. For the longest time, I would say to people, we were in that middle column. We did not finish ABA and go, oh, look, we're, we're in this other column. That was not our story. We were in the middle column. Somehow I've edged over into the other column. But I can tell you when I was in the middle column, it was a good column to be in. And I know people whose kids were in that 11%. And you know what they say to me? I'm, they're the most grateful for ABA because they say my child can communicate and my child is, is a part of our family and, and we have a relationship now and that I didn't know if we were going to have before. And I'm grateful because they're safe and they know safety rules and, and we can be productive and we have made our peace with the fact that they're going to need support. Um, but we also know that we did everything that we could. And that is what they say. So this is what I say to you. Um, please um, do, do what you can. And if you need help, um, please reach out and ask for help. I, I made uh, one more slide, Traven, um, because I wanted to thank all of you for being a part of this conversation. And it does have my email address on there. And you can find us at autismnetwork.com. For more, we cover so many of the topics having to do with this. Uh, we, we hope that you guys I know that some of you that are watching are in other countries and that it's not the same as it is in the United States and that you don't have the access. And is it, I, I'm sure that it's frustrating for you to hear that parents are saying no to intensive ABA program when you don't, when you're where I was uh, in the early 2000s, where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like scrap to get this together. Or how about the parents in the nineties who were like, I'm going to have to create an ABA program in my living room. And I don't have the team to do that. I, I, it's, it's just ah, frustrating. Right. Um, but I want to tell all of you, wherever you are, it, it used to be that way in the United States and parents still found a way to make it happen. There are ways do everything that you can. You won't be sorry. Um, so that is my message to you today. Tomorrow we're here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet. She's answering your questions live. That will be tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we're doing, we're starting to wind these parent to parent things down. We're going to do a couple more of them, but Wednesday we're taking on diet y'all, because I know many of you write in, you're like a little upside down about the diet thing. Not really sure. Is it something that's useful to you? Like which diet, why, what does it have to do? So basically talking about, uh, 
you know, why is diet important uh, when we're talking about autism in, in that parent to parent way? So there's that. And then on Thursday, we're uh, it's let let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy, and we've got an amazing parent who's going to be joining us talking about how he fought to get insurance to fund ABA in his child's school, in his classroom. Uh, this is like new territory for me because I haven't heard a lot of people being successful with that. And this parent's like, Ooh, I've got information. So we're really thrilled about that on Thursday. And then if you missed last Friday's uh, stories from the spectrum, we're, we're going to be re-airing it this Friday. I just loved uh, I think it's an important one. I love them all. It's all content created by people on the spectrum completely. We only curate in terms of make sure that we have some funding that they get paid uh, for us to show their content. They still retain ownership of their content. We're just paying to air it. Um, it's all their own opinions, their own content. Uh, so I hope that you'll support them and, and share that. All right. That's my alarm saying it's time to go. <laughs> I, it's not. It's it's well past time to go. I, I, I respect and adore, adore all of you on the mission that you're on. And and I hope that uh, this was helpful to you. We'll see you tomorrow with Dr. Grampy Shea. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.